Right, so today's episode is on fears, phobias, and failures. So today we're gonna to start off talking about fears that are kind of more personal, like things we were scared of when we were younger, things we're scared of now, how, how deep they run, where that comes from. And then we're gonna move into phobias, you know, any phobias that we might have, sort of like more extreme and perhaps irrational fears, and talk about some of the most common ones, and also some very niche ones, you know, interesting ones that we found online, um, very funny ones, some kind of potentially very scary ones, some very unusual ones. I've got a couple of very, very interesting, creepy stories that go with a lot of them. Um, and I've also found out some uh, some celebrity phobias, you know, some of the mainstream celebrities and some kind of unusual or weird fears that you might not have expected them to have. And then finally, we're gonna move on to things that people actually like, filias, perhaps maybe even in the bedroom, you know, in their private life, kind of things that you wouldn't expect. I mean, we've got some some celebrity examples of some filias and then some really unusual sort of stories of people who kind of fell in love with or had uh, attractions to some very unusual things from inanimate objects to certain creatures and the things you find in the home. So yeah, really, really interesting episode coming up. Um, so yeah, let's start off. I've, I mean, you yourself, uh, were there any fears that you kind of had growing up or any fears that you've got now? I'd <laughs> Growing up, I definitely had a lot of fears. I feel like growing up, I, I grew up as quite a fearful individual. No way. And, and I'd say less so now, um, but definitely when I was younger, I used to be scared of absolutely everything. Really? Like, genuinely, like it was more so if it was anything to do with adrenaline or like theme park rides or I, I would just never get involved. Wow. Like, so Jersey Fair, you would never go oh, get on absolutely. the rides? I'm still to this day never. Be. And I think that's caught, sort of stemmed even now to later life where I wouldn't ever go on those those fairground rides. Wait, I, would you would you never go on a roller coaster no, now? Never. I've never no been way. on one. Genuinely. I, it, it sort of stemmed from like losing my stomach. I'd hate that sensation. As oh, a kid. when your stomach drops. Yeah, when your stomach drops. Yeah, and some people love that. Even if I get a flight, I just hate that that sensation. And then uh, and then I just got in my head that I was just so closed off I could never just overcome that barrier and ever get on a ride or do anything like that remotely like what's fun when you're younger so you just i just make up excuses when people go <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't even tell people that you've got this fear no oh well i just i just say oh, i can't come you wow know, under the weather <laughs> i kind of get that because i think with some fairground rides i think now with social media you can every now and then just see a horrible fairground ride accident and because everyone's got phones almost everyone is filming it you can see clips of people like flying off fairground rides or them failing and and going crazy how much do you think it's a rational fear of something going wrong and how much of it is like almost like a phobia like an irrational fear that you just can't put your finger on why you hate it you just hate it I, I don't think it's rational at all because i don't even think about the risks that much like it's not like a statistical thing where x amount of people die on this ride every single year therefore i wouldn't want to go on it it's literally like from when i was younger i was just so fearful of that sensation or like i i, I just uh, or e even say sort of I developed I was very sensitive to motion sickness so getting flights boats things like that so that on like a 100x extreme scale wow would just be the, my worst nightmare so like, someone, I'd hate it so if someone could guarantee your safety you still would be like no I don't yeah, I wouldn't enjoy not. the experience I, I'd still maybe I could be convinced now just because I know that there's nothing bad in my head I, I don't think anything would go wrong the risks are, are very low 
but I'd have to re- I'd have to really convince myself to do it. Like it, it's still a fear, I'd say. That's so interesting because I think one of so one of my fears is is a fear of jellyfish. So really? I think it's called uh, I, I, there's a name for a fear of stings, which is canidophobia. I think I'm pronouncing that right. But I think growing up in Jersey on an island where like there just were a lot of jellyfish. I obviously lived on the west coast and used to surf a lot, do a lot of pier jumping. Like I thought the idea that every every single paddle on a surfboard I could dip my hand and touch a jellyfish used to freak me out. And so... Did you it, ever get stung by one? No, which is weird. There's no kind of like traumatic experience as a kid. I just, no matter when I'm in a body of water, like the sea, in, in a swimming pool, I'm fine. But if I'm in, in, in the ocean, I constantly have a fear that my next stroke, I'm going to touch a jellyfish. And you know, there are just... There are just so many jellyfish even around, I mean, less so in the UK, but you go on holiday to like Greece, Spain, especially if you go to, you know, Thailand, Australia, where they have jellyfish, like you can literally, you can get stung by a jellyfish and be gone like a minute later. There's actually a stat. Guess how many people a year die of jellyfish stings? Um, <laughs> a million? Okay. <laughs> that, this now makes the number sound oh, really, really? Low. It's a hundred. Oh, what? But I always thought it'd be high. I don't know why. Yeah, it's it's... It's just, it just, the idea of just kind of like never seeing it. I almost, this is, this is something people always find really weird, but given the choice between someone going, you've got to swim between this point and this point, and we'll either drop a jellyfish in there that's deadly or a shark. I would rather a shark. I prefer the idea of seeing the fin, seeing a big dark thing underneath me and knowing where it is than the jellyfish that's basically the same, you know, you almost can't tell the difference between water and a jellyfish a lot of the time, especially when there's waves and stuff. I just, but I, th- I think that's more kind of like, so I've got the fear of being stung by them. So if I go to an aquarium, it's my favorite thing to go and watch jellyfish in a tank. Like, I think they're stunning. I think they're amazing to look at. Like they fascinate me and like everything about them, especially in their like scientific, like biology sense, like their life cycle, the way they reproduce, like all that kind of stuff I find fascinating. But I just, I find like being in them, you know, being potentially swimming alongside them terrifying. So I wonder if that's slightly more rational than perhaps your like fear of roller coasters and stuff. Well, what about if you just saw a jellyfish, say, lying on the side of the shore? Fine, yeah. And it was dead. Yeah, that's fine. You wouldn't care. It doesn't really bother me. So it's more the thought of the potential of you touching a jellyfish that's, yeah that's what so that is that's rational so it's more of a rational fear so it's not but, like, but yeah, a visual i think fear. i think the the extent to which i'm scared of it is what makes it closer to a phobia because it's like it's it's every second i'm in the ocean it's every stroke i'm just going don't try to touch a jellyfish don't try to touch a jellyfish so that kind of freaks me out and i just can't get rid of it what other kind of fears have you got then so the two like most common well it's definitely up there most common fears are fear of darkness which is uh nyctophobia two uh, most common for you personally no i'm saying general so so general then two also me ones. so it is okay. uh nyctophobia darkness and then closing spaces like claustrophobia oh yeah so mine right is is not either one but it's a combination so i i i don't mind darkness like if it's pitch black when i'm sleeping i like that I, it, i'm absolutely fine yeah the same with, with like claustrophobia if it's it's like it's got windows, for instance, even if it was, if I'm like in a lift, I wouldn't necessarily feel that. But if I have the combination of two, I'm terrified. So wow. when, when I was younger, I was really scared of one of the like uh, water slides in Jersey was 
uh, at the Merton, there was one slide that is, is literally for kids, right? But it was a circular slide. Oh, it's a big slide. It's a, yeah, it's fairly yeah, big, but it's one. not fast or anything. And that also makes it worse for me. I prefer like fast open rides or slides like that. But if, if I'm cramped in and that slide, I just could never do. So wow. it was literally like, I'd look down there and it's just circular darkness and it pretty much only fits in your body. So that combination of both nyctophobia, claustrophobia wow, is something that I experienced. Yeah. Now, could you go down a massive water slide? So would you be I, able to do it now? Or would you still feel that fear? I think I've, I've literally done it a couple of times. I didn't enjoy it. Wow. So it was, it was rational, I guess, because I knew I wouldn't like that experience. And when I was older, I could kind of rationalize that and be like, oh, it's not hard to oh, just overcome that. Obviously, it's pretty low risk again. So I would do it, but just not enjoy the experience at all because it was just that combination. So I think even now I would, I would have some kind of, I'd have some form of barrier, which would be like kind of stopping me. Whereas, whereas if it was like an open kind of water park or slide, I'd have no issues. I'd love it. This is, I'm actually sorry to tell you this, but coming up in our niche phobias, I've got one that I know you're going to hate oh, really? that I find fascinating, but I've got three stories that I think I'm really let's curious, that. but I think you're going to absolutely hate listening to. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Uh, but let's cover fears first. So, um, so another, another fear I have is, so these two, I really, I really struggle to figure out whether they're irrational or not. And they're kind of related. So one is aliens and one is zombies. And I, I wonder if it's a kind of almost like fear of an apocalyptic event that's kind of tying them both. But I got my fear of aliens from a movie called Signs. Have you ever seen it? No. It's an M. Night Shyamalan oh, movie with I've heard Mel of it, Gibson. I seen it. Yeah. Really good. He sort of like lives on a farm. Aliens kind of come down. But what really like set it in for me, not only watching it as a kid and it being like a brilliantly scary movie, or at least I thought when I was a kid, I'm sure movie critics, you know, um, might not necessarily agree. But the the kid picks up a book and he says like, you know, people that have given this real thought think that the only reasons that aliens would come to Earth would be to harvest us for slave labor, essentially, and turn us all into slaves or to kill us and take our resources. And so I kind of always, I've always had a real fascination with space, um, sort of like abiogenesis and biogenesis sort of like creating life from nothing where they're like, there could be intelligent life on other other planets and stuff. And I just think like, I think there is, because there is this possibility that it just could be out there because of like the size of the universe, the, the, the chances that there could be planets that could harbor life that, you know, could eventually turn into intelligent life. And we've sort of figured out that you kind of can go from the basic elements, you know, hydrogen, nitrogen, carbon into life a, a lot more simply than we ever kind of thought. But anyway, and I just kind of thought like, I used to, I used to lie awake at night and just plan if, aliens ever came like down to earth what i would do and it took up my life my my childhood <laughs> every night i would be like if there are zombies what would i do and weirdly my fear of zombies came from a movie called Shaun of the dead yeah. which i'm sure you've seen is a comedy movie yeah but i think i watched it when i was so young it just absolutely terrified me um but there are kind of two kind of things so with uh with zombies have you ever have you ever seen anyone with rabies a human no it's pretty rare but that was another one where I kind of was like, it's kind of maybe a fear grounded in reality. Because if you see someone with rabies, these are the symptoms of a person with rabies. Confusion or aggressive behavior, frothing at the mouth, muscle spasms, and seeing and hearing things. So you can really imagine like it wouldn't take much 
of that, that, like the rabies virus to evolve a little bit, to change a little bit, to really make some, you know, I mean, if you're already angry and frothing at the mouth and you have violent outbursts, how far away from that is actual zombies? And obviously you can transfer rabies with a bite. So like, it's actually not far off like a zombie virus. Did you then also throughout your childhood, did you plan what your method of attack would be? In case of an uh, apocalypse. It was more, no, it was more like defense. Like I was kind of like, if zombies came, I had an attic, thankfully, in my dad's house that like when you were up, you'd like pull the ladder up with a rope. And so it would shut flat on the roof. And I knew that zombies wouldn't like <laughs> be able to come up. And I was so grateful for that. But the worst one is, is that for my fear of aliens, so signs is they're farmers, right? And they, they have a cornfield and there's a crop circle. And that's how the movie starts with like the first signs of aliens. My mum, a year later, moved to a farmhouse with a crop field outside my bedroom window. <laughs> so I would look out my bedroom window at night and just see a dark crop field. And for about two years, I stopped living with my mum. Really? Just because I couldn't handle it. Was it. That far. I couldn't go to bed knowing that there was a crop field there. Because I, I know you were saying that potentially they're closely linked to, say, rabies or some um, deformities that could then develop over time. But I feel like that's, for me anyway, completely irrational where... It's, we're obviously miles off anywhere near like some sort of zombie apocalypse or any anything any sort of zombie attack or alien attack so where do you think it's literally instilled in you from say watching those movies when you're younger or is it is it something that just intrigued you and then you researched into more yeah i think i think there's an interesting so have you ever heard of the uh, the drake equation might no. have come across it before so it was um it was essentially a number well it was essentially used to estimate the number of active, communicative, extraterrestrial civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy. So it's sort of based on the rate of star creation, the fraction of those stars that have planets, the average number of those planets that might support life and so on. But essentially, because there's so many assumptions, the range of answers of like the number of planets in the Milky Way that could sustain life is that different people with different assumptions, you know, there have been estimates where the assumptions made gave the number being almost zero, basically zero planets that can sustain life and another assumption with 15 million so because they're all multiples and like the, the math is too hard but the kind of original equation was meant to sort of like spark a conversation about like you know what we're going to do if we ever actually contact aliens and stuff but i always thought that was quite interesting you know the chances like the sort of habitable planets that are potentially out there you know are just numerous but then have you ever heard of the fermi paradox i thought this was quite interesting as well so it's kind of the, the discrepancy between the lack of conclusive evidence of advanced extraterrestrial life and the apparent likelihood of its existence. So sort of, there was a 25, uh, 2015 article that put it this way, if life is so easy, someone from somewhere must have come calling by now. So going like, you know, if the if universe is as big as it is and there's all these habitable potential planets, you know, and the chances of aliens is so likely to some at least that calculate it that way. Why have they never, you know, why aren't they here? Why have they never reached out? Maybe it's just the size of the universe, who knows? But I think just the fact that there's a possibility, a real possibility of both of them, however small that probability is, the idea of a zombie or an alien apocalypse just terrifies me to this day. I mean, nowadays I, I don't really think about it much, but I'd say a good chunk of my nights, maybe three or four nights a week, I'll have a nightmare where I'm either in a zombie or an alien apocalypse. So would that trigger something? So you'd have a nightmare and then you think about it the next day or would you just have random thoughts where you're like, what if, and you come up with these scenarios? Yeah, I kind of come up with a lot of scenarios, but I mean, I grew up with it so much that I've kind of 
thought through almost everything so i don't really ponder it too much now you've already solved everything yeah. you know exactly what you do yeah how about you have you got any other any other like deep fears or is that i wouldn't say a deep fear but this one's kind of based off past trauma so um i know a lot of the cases can be genetic whereas some people just naturally are scared of small uh, spaces or darkness but this one is kind of based off a traumatic accident that happened when I was younger. Oh, no way. Where essentially I, I smashed my front teeth out. Um, and so I was actually researching it and it's kind of a branch off um, dent dentophobia, where like it's quite common for people to be terrified of the dentist. So more so like going to the dentist, like fear of um, like lack of control, someone basically operating on you and, and supposedly... A report figure of five to fifteen percent of people have dentophobia, wow. but this is obviously kind of different in the sense that I actually have a fear of like whenever I think of scenarios or measure the risk in certain scenarios. Say like us cycling to the studio today, like thinking through falling off, and my my worst fear is smashing my teeth because I can almost feel that sensation when oh, it happens. How old were you when it happened? I think I was like twelve. Something oh, that, like that is awful. That is so it's like the the yeah it was like my main front tooth that basically sliced open and the nerve endings were obviously just kind of exposed all yeah oh no and and I, I still remember the pain to this day where I I like sucked in that first breath of air and you could feel the air whole, passing your nerves yeah that that whole rush honestly like oh, was the worst awful. pain I've ever experienced and so even now because even if say like it's happened before where they operated on me and, and replaced it with a, a fake tooth and that's come off before, but the nerve endings are all dead now. So it doesn't feel anything, but just the thought of seeing, say that tooth broken apart, seeing that on the floor brings back those memories. And it all, I always feel at risk of, of smashing my teeth and that's potentially stuck with me now for life. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the majority of people who had phobias, it, it stemmed from some sort of like childhood yeah. trauma. So should we move on to some phobias then? Let's do it, yeah. So I actually found, so you were talking about like common phobias. I found a US study that was quite interesting. So the top five most common phobias, according to this study, um, and, and neither of those two actually, this study at least, didn't, didn't mention claustrophobia or nectophobia. Can you guess what any of the five might be? Really common phobias. Arachnophobia? Yes, that that's spiders? the number one. Arachnophobia is fear Arachnophobia. of spiders, 31% of people. A similar one is fear of snakes. That's 22%, but that's only third. The second one, funny enough, is glossophobia, which affects 26% of people, which is quite a lot, which is fear of, yeah, fear of public speaking. Oh, really? Yeah. To be fair, I think most people probably are. And I, But I don't think that's a particular phobia, as in it's not no. that irrational. That is quite no. a nerve-wracking thing. Yeah. But maybe. But then when... No, actually, when you rationalise that, it, it shouldn't be nerve-wracking, though. That's true. Because when you think we're, as human beings, we're social beings, we... We want to interact, talk to other people. And so why is it suddenly scary when you're talking to your mates, but then you could speak to the exact same people, but they're all sat on a row of chairs. You're put on a stage with a mic, for instance. Yeah. And suddenly your like heart's racing a little faster. You're sweating. Yeah. Like why, That's is, true. why does that make maybe a difference the when you Maybe it's the extremity. It? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else is coming up? So uh, mysophobia, I think it's, or, or misophobia is fear of germs which is 13% of people. That's common, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think my brother might have that, you know, because he used to, there was a period where we sort of finished eating dinner and he would just cover the surfaces of everything in the kitchen and living room with bleach. Really? And my parents were like kind of grateful because yeah, everything was like very clean, yeah. but it was like almost too clean because it just smelled like chlorine all the time. 
And then the fifth one is cynophobia, which is a fear of dogs that affects 13% of people, which is interesting. And I think, do you know Darkest? Yeah. I think he might have that because when we were in the house, in the locked in house, we did a, a challenge where we sort of wore one of those suits and a dog had to like rugby tackle us to the ground. I reckon I, have a, I, have a, I would be terrified. So I think he had that. But, have um, a, I definitely have a mild version of that. Really? Yeah, genuinely. No way. Actually, yeah. I think I have a friend that, thinking about it now. That's funny. I, I have a friend that's afraid of dogs and he would definitely have that as a phobia. So you, you were talking about um, your fear of dentistry. Did you have a, uh, did you look at something to do with like a fear of doctors? Yeah, so one of mine actually as well, I don't know actually how common this is, but there's one called latrophobia, which is a fear of doctors. And it's basically where in the extreme cases where people will literally refuse medical attention, even in like cases where they could have severe, severe illnesses, disease, like it could get quite bad. And if they don't obviously see that medical attention, then it could, could worsen. So that's quite irrational because obviously doctors are trained like for years on end for that sole purpose yeah. to look after you. They're meant to be comforting. Um, and yeah, and I was looking into it and main symptoms include like rapid heartbeat, uh, dizziness, hot flushes, chest pain, um, and bizarrely excessive cleaning, linking to what you're saying with your wow. with your brother, because people associate doctors as like unclean places, like hospitals. So that people will then react to that by excessively cleaning things. And they, they almost feel it as like a really unsafe environment oh interesting yeah. so maybe your brother might might have a mild version of that where he wouldn't want to maybe. go to somewhere where you know it's a sea of people in a waiting room with colds diseases that yeah. you could potentially catch that's kind of rational as well to an extent because yeah. obviously you know we, we were talking about this in the when we were talking about cosmetic procedures but the um the number of people that obviously sort of medical negligence as like a leading cause of death in a lot of um of the developed countries and that's not hugely surprising, I guess, if you're already ill. Yeah. The idea of surrounding yourself by more people who are ill, sort of, I mean, the number of stories, I mean, there were people that would sort of, you know, um, I had a friend's grandparent who kind of went in for a broken arm into hospital and passed away because they caught um, a virus just in hospital. Well, which exactly is, that, yeah. yeah so well, I guess so that is such, rational. So it's kind of rational, but yeah. I guess not to the extent where, you know, if you have like a broken, I would imagine it would be sort of people with like open wounds that would go gangrenous and they wouldn't even go see their doctor because they were so scared. But yeah, that's a, Cause, that cause is an interesting one. Contrary to that, you've obviously got people who are like massive hypochondriacs and it's like, yeah, I guess the opposite of a phobia of doctors where people will go for the tiniest reasons or like you go on these endless Google searches for like some mild symptoms. And I feel like that's very common. I think I have that a little bit. I think it, it might be part of Google's fault where you sort of, you know, can Google something and almost every single time it's like, this is a symptom of cancer. Yeah, I can imagine you being the type of person who would go to a doctor and almost have already self-diagnosed yourself <laughs> before you go and you're telling did, him I what would, you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had a, a headache once and I remember going to the hospital and being like, I think I've got occipital neuralgia. And the guy's like, you just got a headache, like go yeah. home. And they kind of laughed me out, but going back to, so um, yeah, should I do the, uh, the phobia that I think you won't like? So I'm sure this is one you, you might have heard of before, but it's... Um, Taphophobia. Have you heard of this? No. So it comes from the Greek taphos, meaning grave tomb, but it's the fear of being buried alive. So I can imagine the idea yeah. of waking up and being in a coffin, That'd pitch black, is is a nightmare to you. Yeah. So you you might you might not enjoy any of this. Surely, but, uh, who, who's enjoying that? <laughs> that's no true. one's enjoying that. But I think in particular that would like the thought of it might 
yeah, raise true, your stress yeah. levels more than yeah. it would for me, perhaps. But you know, this this was like a big thing. So it peaked in the 1700s at the time when the plague was rampant and people feared that doctors or med medical professionals would mistakenly pronounce them dead. Um, and it was such a phenomenon at the time that in the 18th and 19th centuries, there were a large number of designs for safety coffins. So do you know what a safety coffin is? So they're basically coffins that are fitted with mechanisms to prevent premature burial and allow oh. the occupant to signal that they've been buried alive. So a common one was they would tie strings to your head, hands and feet so you could ring a bell, um, you know, and then hopefully the sort of like grave, what are they called? The people who watch over graves at night. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, so that they would, um, they would be able to like hear the bell ring and hopefully, uh, hopefully, yeah, so what, this it. was an experiment to test if it would work or the, the no that pe people the were buying people, them. Them. people were buying oh, and wow. using coffins there was actually weirdly not one documented at least that i could find not one documented case of someone being saved having been buried alive using one of these but people were so afraid at the time and so the reason that people were so afraid i've got three stories um are you ready for this yeah go on so this is a terrifying example of someone getting buried alive. Octavia Smith, 1889. So she began showing signs of a mysterious illness. Eventually, her body entered a coma-like state and nobody could awaken her. She was pronounced dead in May of 1891. She was an, it was an unusually hot May that year, and so Octavia was buried very quickly. Obviously, they didn't want the corpse like hanging around very long. But a few days later... A few other people in the town began falling into a similar coma-like sleep with shallow breathing patterns, only to awaken a few days later. They then discovered it was an illness caused by the bite of the tsetse fly. I think that's how you pronounce it. And so fearing that she had been buried alive, her husband panicked and had Octavia exhumed, thinking that she might awaken. She had, but James was too late. Octavia's coffin was airtight. He found the coffin lining had been shredded, and Octavia's fingernails were bloody. On her face was frozen a contorted shriek of terror. So she would have, like all these townsmen and villagers, woken up from this coma induced by this flyby and found herself in a pitch black Yeah, that, would, that would be my worst nightmare. Awful. That I mean, would be awful. Can you imagine? I mean, what would you do? I mean, she evidently tried the only thing you could do, claw your way out. And it happened again, actually. Well, I, I say again, but it actually happened five years earlier with a, a lady called Anna Hockwald. So she was dressing for her brother's wedding, sat down to rest in the kitchen. And when someone checked on her a few moments later, she was lifeless. Medical aid arrived and the doctor assumed she was dead and couldn't revive her. Anna's friends thought that her ears still looked pink as though blood was flowing through her. Um, but Anna was buried the next day. Um, but her friends then told her parents of their earlier observation. You know, they went up to the parents and were like, her ears seem pink. We, we actually don't think that she was dead at the time and so her parents you know perplexed to the point of having to dig her back up because they just they couldn't deal with not knowing they found the worst case scenario Anna's body was turned onto her side her fingers were gnawed almost to the bone and her hair had been torn out by the handful so she again had oh, woken up and just in so much distress and pain yeah. that she had tried to claw her way out until her fingers couldn't claw anymore and she had torn hair out of her head isn't that just yeah so it's you, you're literally getting suffocated to the point do, do you think I, I don't I, I was trying to figure this out actually when is, I first read it, it what starvation? kills you could be could be running out of oxygen it could be starvation yeah. it could be well dehydration or even from, distress like extreme distress yeah like, you can die from shock I guess yeah. who knows 
And then this third one is a, a much more recent one. It's not quite being buried alive, but it's an unusual one. So a boy called Kelvin Santos in 2012, he died from pneumonia. And an hour before his funeral, after the boy had been sort of like laid sort of in a in in preparatory stages for a few days, apparently the kid sat up in his coffin, said, daddy, give me some water, lay down again and didn't move. And he took his, the uh, father took his son back to the Abelardo Santos Hospital where doctors re-examined him and confirmed that he had died. So that they actually fear that they had wrongly proclaimed the kid dead early and he had died of dehydration a few days later because he had essentially woken up, was wow. so thirsty and he had died anyway. <laughs> and they kind of got to live with the fact that, you know, maybe he'd been a, and maybe if they had put him on a yeah. drip, he could have survived. Yeah. Isn't that awful? Yeah, that's awful. Thinking they died. I mean, the roller coaster of going, my child's dead. They've just sat up and said something. Thank the Lord. Oh, and then they die again. Yeah. Isn't that awful? That's so bad. So yeah, some pretty, those stories I think stick will stick with me because ever since I first read about them a few days ago, I mean, I haven't even got the claustrophobia and yeah, do you think you, you could develop the phobia then? by Because I, I honestly feel like when you research these case studies, you almost have that bias of thinking that it happens more than it potentially does. True. And then you could feel like that you could develop that phobia or you, you think about things that don't that you wouldn't necessarily do so previously. I would never have thought about being buried alive and yeah. now I'm a little bit freaked out. But, by most, but luckily they're from ages ago. Yeah, it would like. never happen these days. I think I'd rather get cremated anyway, just to make sure. Yeah. So what other kind of weird phobias have you found? So about? I had one which I feel like this one is is fairly common as well, um, which is thalassophobia, which is the fear of the ocean or deep open water. So I guess this one is kind of rational in the sense that as of 2022, we've only actually explored 5% of the ocean. So... 95% of the ocean is still unexplored. Um, and there, there are a couple of like explorations that I found extremely interesting. So there's, there's a place called the Marina Trench, which is apparently the deepest part of the ocean um, and the deepest location on earth. And only two people have successfully hit the bottom of that or reached the bottom of that, that point, which is as far as 11,000 meters, which is equivalent to 1,500 miles. Wow. So a lot of people kind of have that rationalized fear because say like uh, Mount Everest, the tallest point in, world, in the world, thousands of people have climbed to the top of that. Mm. But only two people have explored the bottom of this, this uh, pit bull in, in the ocean. And one is uh, Victor Vescobo, who has actually the record, the, the, the deepest ever dive in the o ocean. And it took him 3.5 to four hours to complete. So wait, he, he descended, what, what kind of equipment? Was he in a little submarine type thing or? So initially the depth was, was measured in, well, they initially thought it was five miles long and that was in 1875 through a weighted source rope. Uh, and then later in 1951, so around 80 years later, the British vessel HMS Challenger um, put down an echo sounder and measured nearly seven miles deep. Wow. which which is uh which is yeah it's, it's insane and the temperature is obviously just a few degrees above freezing and about a thousand times the uh standard atmospheric pressure so you can imagine the equipment that this guy had to had to go down and and maybe people 
aren't just willing to invest all this money to explore that but there's yeah that that that's kind of what scares me i think part of the ocean that's just no one's really explored even 90 percent of it yeah that yeah that's almost like a mix of like it's basically just the fear of unknown isn't it i mean i hate it it's weird it's one i really didn't develop until my older ages i wonder if it's partly the fear of jellyfish coming into it but before obviously growing up again on the island like you know we like out back you, you couldn't see the bottom of the Obviously, we get massive waves in Jersey, so you can go really far out to sea before you're behind the the break. And uh, yeah, when we're cliff jumping and stuff, you'd go to depths where you just couldn't see the bottom. And I never used to think about it as a kid. Whereas recently, I actually went with Chris on a fishing trip when we went to Greece. And there was a bit where he was like, oh, you guys can like jump out and swim here. And I just looked down and it was like, water was crystal clear. So and usually you can see the bottom, but you just couldn't. It yeah. just got darker and darker yeah and i was like something about this just freaks me out well combined with the pressure and obviously the darkness that also ties in with that god yeah i'd never go down to the bottom phobias, of the mariana yeah, trench nowhere uh, and there, there was an interesting case study as well where because obviously it, it also comes from a fear of drowning right which is potentially one of the worst experiences you could, could ever have in life and um it's difficult to kind of obviously talk to people or ever know what that feels like because you know people die within say close to a minute of being underwater and um in 2013 a nigerian tugboat sunk with 12 seamen on board and the cook named harrison O'Keen actually managed to find this little air pocket um and this was right at the back of the ship and he managed to survive there for three days until getting rescued by some divers wow i think i might have seen footage of that yeah, so he he was sat there basically contemplating his death. He was so close to, you know, suffocating. He was high risk of hypothermia, um, drowning. And he, he basically found this tiny pocket where his head was just above above the water and was managed to stay there for over 60 hours. Wow, that is insane. Can you imagine the relief? And you almost wouldn't believe it. Exactly. And he he then obviously survived that through through these dive divers that um, came down and, and found him. Um, and then since then, he vowed never to return to the sea. Wow. So he's obviously, yeah, he's developed a phobia of, of deep oceans from that absolute traumatic experience. So that's kind of rationalized in the sense that I, I think people honestly think about that. They think of that fear of drowning. Have you ever, have you ever seen the movie Open Water? No. I think it's based on a true story. So they basically, it's a bunch of people and they're, they're kind of on holiday, but it's mainly this couple. And they get on this boat out to sea where they all go diving. And the guy is like counting, say, for I think there's like 20 of them or whatever. And they all jump off the boat. And as they come back in, he tallies them off. So when someone gets up, he ticks them off until he's got 20. But the problem is, is that two people who come out go back in. And so when they come out again, you know, there's been 20 people that have gone off. 18 have come back. Two of those 18 have gone off and come back again. And then there's a couple, just two of them that have stayed out there. But because two people have been counted twice, oh, he right. ticks off 20 people oh. and the boat goes and they come back from their scuba diving up the top <laughs> of the water and there's just no boat around. Oh no. And the whole movie is just them like drifting, like sticking together, going through, like seeing sharks, jellyfish again. That's another one that they encounter. And I think they both ended up dying. You know, they, one of them got, maybe one of their remains got found. It was too long ago for me to remember. But I remember watching that and just going like, that is 100% a horrible fear of mine. Like the idea of going out on a on a boat and just getting left behind and being in open water. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. With no idea of what's surrounding you in these yeah. deep oceans, like sharks, whales, killer whales, jellyfish. 
yeah, I'm not surprised people would be terrified of that. Yeah, the because um, obviously, yeah, the terrifying part is that literally there's not an ounce or anyone near you that you could sort of help or you can't, yeah. there's no way of communicating that. Um, and how do people find you if you're a little dot in that yeah, massive exactly, ocean? Exactly. But but with that, there's there's actually the point which is the furthest away from any land in the world is Point Nemo. And it's 1400 miles from anyone or anything. No ships have ever traveled through it. Wow. And the ocean currents keep away all the nutrients so that would n normally support all the sea life there. Oh, so it's just devoid of all life exactly, as well. Exactly, yeah. And so that's where we normally dump all like the satellites, spacecrafts, um, and they kind of scatter over that entire area of 6.6 .6 million square miles. Wow. So it's literally just emptiness. So I think that's that's the whole idea of just feeling completely isolated in, in the sea and you've got that fear of, well, it, it, it's, it's a bigger landscape than uh, the actual land on earth as well. Yeah. So it's just, it's a terrifying thought. That is terrifying. To go a bit lighter, I've actually got quite a funny one. So have you ever heard of a phobia called Give me a second, because this might take a minute for me to pronounce. Okay. Hippopotomonstrosoquipedeliophobia. Have you ever oh, heard of that? Never, no. Guess what it's the fear of? Say that again. I'm going to be exhausted by the end of it. Hippopotomonstrosoquipedeliophobia. It's the fear of long words. Oh, really? So it comes from, uh, the root. it's got roots in Latin, Sesquipedalis, <laughs> which means a foot and a half long, um, monstrum, meaning monster, and the hippopotam hippopotamus at the start is intended to exaggerate the length of the word itself and the idea of the size of the words being feared. It's a 35 letter, 15 syllable word. It's almost, you know what it reminded me of? The idea of making lisp being a word with an S in it, just like obviously people who have a lisp. Have to oh, say yeah, I have exactly. a lisp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they put an S in here. It's pretty ironic. And having this phobia, you've got yeah. a fear of long words. Yeah, and you can't say the phobia. But that's got to be an irrational one. I, I can't I would love to speak to someone who has that and like I wonder if looking and saying looking at that word and reading it frightens them and causes them stress. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's, it's just, linked to dyslexia and it's all just jumbled. I I, I don't really know. Who aren't, yeah. Yeah, it's quite smart. funny. <laughs> yeah. What <laughs> other kind of phobias have you? Um, so there's one as well, which is fairly common as well, which is, I don't know, you might have experienced it or know people that have, and it's a strong fear or disgust of closely packed holes. Oh, I've seen this a lot online. I haven't yes. got it myself. I don't understand it. But... So things like honeycomb, even strawberries or lotus heads, and it's called um, trypophobia. I've heard um, of that. Yeah. And there's a yeah, cu couple people that you do know have experienced this. One's KSI who has got a crippling fear of holes and also Kendall Jenner. No way. She said that anything from pancakes, honeycomb or lotus heads literally will just set her off. Yeah, see, see that's a, a lot more of an odd, irrational one to me because I feel like being in tight spaces and darkness even, like darkness, obviously you can see why we would evolve to be afraid of darkness. It's, you know, unknown what kind of creature could be in there. It's a, it's like, it's it's a like cave a, where there could be a bear or a wolf or something. Exactly, but yeah. The holes thing, I, I wonder where that comes from. That's so unusual. Well, apparently it's, it's an evolutionary response to things associated with disease or danger. For example, a coat oh. pattern on venomous animals like snakes. Oh, so I we see. associate with danger, supposedly. So now that's kind of evolved over time to now even like say, um, yeah, honeycomb or anything with kind of small pocketed holes, kind of it's that evolutionary thing of 
are sensing danger. I see. That does kind of make sense. Yeah. I've actually got one that's almost the exact opposite. It's one that definitely won't have evolved into us because there was no time. It's a uh, nomophobia. So the term was coined in 2008 to, as a shorthand of no mobile phone phobia. Kind oh, of what we were talking yeah, we about literally yeah, just, yeah. was it last week on, yeah, the, last on the Shower Thoughts episode? But it was coined by a study by the UK Post Office who commissioned YouGov, which is a, a UK-based research organization, to evaluate anxieties experienced by mobile phone users. And we were literally talking about it ourselves, the kind of anxiety that comes with not having your phone on you. But the study found that nearly 53% of mobile phone users in Britain tend to be anxious when they lose their mobile phone, run out of battery or credit, or have no network coverage. And so the, the kind of worst side effect of this, on top of everything else that might come with it, is uh, that people with severe normophobia are 85% more likely to pick up their mobile devices when behind the wheel. So people with nomophobia, when they're driving and oh, they yeah. get a text, it's a natural response. They 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 don't have the self control or yeah. the fear and anxiety is so strong that they're missing out on a, a supremely important text that they just have to check it, even if they're driving and it's going to put them in danger or potentially put them in jail or yeah. put you know other I road think, users in in danger. I think you said fifty four percent, right? I, I think it'd probably potentially be higher, but. For like um, our own age group, yeah, I, yeah, I was thinking I, I the exact so. same thing. I, I think My nan probably wouldn't that. have it, yeah. But our age group, it would, I would not be surprised if it was much, much higher. Yeah, definitely. Weird though, isn't it? The sort of like the, such a recent thing. I mean, you know, something that will have developed over five, ten years that other generations would never understand. Yeah, but it's, it's exactly what we were talking about last week. It's almost like a response to say a small child or like it's like a paternal response where you literally you feel like it's like a loved one almost <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean like you, you you feel you feel lost when it's not around i wonder if that's what it stems from like evolution wise yeah that's true maybe i guess i guess the kind of the need for us to communicate with our social pack and be linked socially and kind yeah. of fit in with the group so not necessarily obviously the combined tech of all the wires and yeah. the, the the compiled technology yeah but more, more so just the fact that we communicate with loved ones and there's that sort of attachment that we associate with it yeah true have you got any other ones any other phobias yeah so there, there was one more that i want to talk about actually because this one i think is completely irrational but some people must obviously experience this but it's it's phobophobia could you could you guess what that is is that, a, is that almost like fear of fear itself? Is yeah. that a phobia of having a phobia? So you literally develop a kind of spiral and circle of anxiety due to fearing fear itself. Wow. Harry Potter. Yeah, he's got literally. that, hasn't he? When he's got the boggart, he's sort of... So, well, yeah. So, so you, it literally can't be avoided in a sense because you're, you're causing your own self-distress. Oh, so it really does. Yeah, it spirals yeah. And, and just gets worse and worse. Is it... Yeah, I mean... I, I wonder if that's a slight fear of the unknown as well type thing because it's kind of like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to be scared of. I don't know what's coming. Oh, I'm feeling stress. And yeah, it almost like self-elevates. <laughs> I've got I've got one, uh, one final one actually that I just thought was just so unusual. So again, I feel like a lot of our ones, even the mobile phone one ended up, we were able to rationalize this. I wonder if we can rationalize this one. So this is plutophobia. So can you have a guess of, of what this is? I mean, do you know the Roman gods? That that would be the giveaway. I'm gonna guess. I've got no idea. God. Is it like related to small objects? No. So Pluto is the Roman god of wealth. Okay. So Plutophobia is the fear of money or wealth. 
Wow. Sometimes um, they may fear either wealthy people or becoming wealthy themselves. I mean, I can kind of get why you'd be a bit weirded out by people like Mark Zuckerberg or, you know, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. They've got this kind of billionaires like that have this kind of unusual aura about them, don't they? Especially but like Zuckerberg. But, but that's, that's not the person. That's the fear, fear of money itself, right? Yeah, well, it, it says wealth. it can be a fear of wealthy people, but okay. it is mainly a fear of money or wealth, whether it's yours or others. But yeah, so people who actually suffer from this have been known to sabotage their own careers to prevent themselves climbing the ladder no and earning way. more money and becoming wealthy. Um, and the fear of becoming wealthy may stem. So, so this is where the rationalizing comes from. So the fear of becoming wealthy may stem from a fear of the responsibilities and the pressures associated with it, or the fear of being a victim of a robbery. Um, so there's actually, this is kind of an unrelated, well, kind of related, but the opposite, but there's actually a fear of uh, poverty, um, which is peniophobia. So like a fear of just being really poor. But um, so I actually searched up some of the biggest fears of the super rich themselves. And so multimillionaires and billionaires amongst them, one in seven are worried that their wealth could be depriving their children of drive and ambition, um, which is kind of, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You sort of yeah, like, definitely. I think it's, it's one of those things that a lot of billionaires, you tend to sort of see, at least in movies and stuff, they sort of have this resentment of their like spoiled brat kids that kind of like or don't give them any money yeah exactly or don't give them any money i, I think bill gates is own, only but only leaving 10 million to each of his kids and sort of his 50 yeah, that's, that's not a lot 50 100 well. billion whatever yeah. net worth is is going literally to to good causes around the world um i think jeff bezos has said the same hasn't he recently that he's sort of like giving his multi-billion dollar fortune. He's going to give it away. He's going to give it all away before he dies. Um, but that's a big thing for them. But actually, I think for those people, it would be slightly less about what their kids, because apparently among the ultra, ultra sort of elite and, and wealthy, their main thing is their own health. So they're just like, I have everything I could want. But my big fear is that, you know, yeah. I'm normal. I, you know, Steve yeah. Jobs was one of those big billionaire names and he obviously passed away from cancer and there's nothing mm. well i don't know actually i think i think there were some people saying he sort of he went on an all fruit diet and didn't necessarily go through the the main sort of like chemotherapy radiotherapy routes but i could be right. wrong but um but yeah and that there, there are the fears of just kind of standard losing their wealth in investments failing their inability to support their family one day or marital breakdowns from it you know which is kind of strange but I, well, I guess I, it is. It kind of makes sense because they're things that they can't purchase. So, whether that be happiness in a marriage or health, true, or, or well-behaved kids, well-behaved you know? kids, yeah. yeah. So it's like it's out of their control. Where they've probably gone through their life of always, I don't know, in a financial sense, being successful, being able to get winning, whatever they want, winning, getting whatever they want, and so there's a fear of lack of control. Yeah, true. So yeah, it, it makes sense. Yeah, I guess it's the kind of one kind of thing in their life that they can't plan the outcome for or like just go, yeah. oh, it's fine. I'll get the best tutor to make my kid perfect and my wife's always going to love me because I've got money. You just, you never know. Yeah, do you think you would, if you, you had kids, would you let them inherit your, your wealth? I don't think so, you know. I think I would do a, I don't know. I, I've always thought if I, if I ever became like particularly wealthy, I would definitely wait until they were a lot older till they could have it. And go, sort of go through the, because I think being a poor student, I mean, you're you're a student as well, like being a poor student and having to live off scraps, you know, those were some of the happiest years of my life, sort of like, you know, 10 pounds for a bunch of pints and free entry to a yeah. club. 
with your mates. Like it makes you appreciate things that you can't buy, like yeah. time with your friends, you know, going home for Christmas and seeing the family. It definitely makes you appreciate things where you go like, you know, I, I don't need this money to have a good time. What about um, your thoughts on, on it causing people to have a lack of drive if they have money? Do you think that's true as well? I think so. If, if it kind of gets handed down to you, you kind of, you don't have the same drive. I mean, you do get a lot of these, you know, snotty bratty kids that do grow up and they've when they get given everything you know i think yeah. being told no and having some kind of discipline but i guess that it does partly come down to bad parenting you know i'm sure there are many billionaires and multimillionaires who have, ris have um, raised great kids i mean you know you look at steve Irwin, he was very very wealthy and his son i don't know if you follow his son on tiktok or social media no. but he's exactly like him you know there'll be a multi-million dollar family 100 percent. oh but he's he, making a, a name for himself and he's making right. a name for, oh, and he's okay. exactly like steve you yeah. know he, there was this interview that i just love from steve owen and he said like i don't know if you've ever seen it but he was like i love money i can't get enough money and you know what i'm gonna do every single dollar I'm, i get i'm gonna pour into conservation i'm gonna buy you know wildlife trust i'm gonna buy farmland i'm gonna buy conservation areas and just sort of like you know it helps me achieve my goal and that's why i love money so much and to me, at least, it seems like his son is exactly the same. You know, he grew up with everyone knowing who he was from day one, because obviously he was Steve Irwin's kid. Um, all that pressure, all the money that he, you know, he probably would have been able to never work a day in his life if he wanted to. But <laughs> I just spat all over the mic. <laughs> but he, you know, but he, you know, he, he he's ended up going into conservation and, and is now, you know, really passionately talking about like, wildlife and how to conserve species and the importance of diversity of species and stuff like that so i think being a good parent and obviously steve owen and his wife are evidently great parents i think they've got a daughter called bindi who's the same yeah. but you know just because you have money doesn't necessarily mean that your kids are going to end up like that yeah definitely you raise them right so to finish off phobias like i said earlier i've got some celebrities with unusual phobias so uh we'll go through a few of them quite quickly because i think it's interesting but not nothing too long to like delve into. Johnny Depp, interestingly, has cholerophobia. So do you know what that is? No clue. Terrified of clowns. Really? Which is odd, because he's played like Edward Scissorhands, Jack Sparrow, the Mad Hatter, Sweeney Todd. He's done loads of dressing up in weird makeup and being weird Maybe that, creatures. that could make him even better at the role though. Maybe, because he's so terrified of yeah. himself. He is good with those kind of roles. Um, Rafael Nadal actually has same phobia as you. He has nyctophobia. So he's, he's scared of the dark. You're a big tennis player yeah. as well, aren't you? So you like a bit of Rafael Nadal. Love Rafa. But you know, if he's home alone at night, he's so nervous, he has to sleep on the sofa. He doesn't sleep in his- Who, Rafa? Rafael Nadal. No way. So he'll sleep on the sofa because he just can't deal with going to bed at wow, alone in the dark. That is extreme. Matt Damon has herpetophobia, which is a fear of reptiles. So he won't go near them um, unless he absolutely has to. Britney Spears has that as well. But you sort of hear Matt Damon and you think like Saving Private Ryan, Jason Bourne, yeah. bit of a tough man. He's obviously shredded, <laughs> bit of a cool guy. And he's, yeah, he's absolutely terrified of holding a snake. Yeah, that's bizarre. Um, David Beckham is an interesting one. So I used to hear about obviously being a Man United fan, a lot of his uh, rituals, like he used to go on the pitch left foot, then right foot first every single time. He used to put on his boots left foot, then right foot. I'm not sure those are the exact details, but it was something like that. But he has ataxophobia, which is a fear of disorder or untidiness. But uh, he cannot stand mess and disorder. And it's, uh, it's similar to OCD, but he said he has to have everything in a straight line and everything he owns has to be in pairs. He says it really, really stresses him out if he, if he doesn't. 
No it's way. Kind of well, that, that's, you know, Rafa, Rafa Nadal has something similar as well, where he can't step on the lines on the tennis court. Wow. So he'll always, if you get in close to the line, he'll kind of footstep between and then step over it. And the same with his, uh, his water bottles. They have to always be perfectly aligned. So oh, he'll wow. often like literally fix them like chess pieces. So they're exactly in line with each other before uh, switching sides. Wow, has he got the? Does he is he the one that has the pre-match yeah, pre-serve yeah, exactly. routine yeah, yeah, where yeah. he like so wipes some, one eyebrow, yeah. one eyebrow, one shirt, one shirt? That must be related to some sort of fear he has, where if he doesn't do that, he won't win the match. On maybe point. or maybe so, even just kind of the itchiness that he has to do it. Yeah, I think it's just developed over time. Probably the same with Beckham, where he's he has to have that order. It's just like a pre-match ritual that they've always done been successful with it and then have to have to carry on that way yeah true um matthew mcconaughey has a very very unusual really? one so he has clethrophobia which is getting trapped in a revolving door so he will go out of his way to go around the back of a building oh, if he wow. has to to avoid okay. going in a trap door because he's worried he'll go in and just be trapped in like a, which is so he would he would he wouldn't go in he will avoid it at all costs i imagine yeah. he can probably rationalize it and go through if he has yeah. to but he <laughs> probably just absolutely <laughs> he probably hates it yeah. he probably absolutely hates it um megan fox has paparophobia so she has a fear of paper so she's so afraid of touching dry paper that she needs her important documents to be laminated for her to touch no them. way and when she reads scripts she needs a cup of water by her side so she can dip her fingers in to turn the pages every time. Wow. Doesn't even lick them. It's not wet enough. Isn't that odd? Um, Alfred Hitchcock, obviously considered by many to be one of the most influential people in sort of modern times, has overphobia. Can you guess what that is? You might be able to guess it from the word overphobia. No idea. <laughs> eggs. I was thinking like ovum. But he's got eggs. a fear of eggs. So obviously one of the greatest directors of all time, he had a tremendous fear of eggs. He hated the way the yolk would break and cascade out of the shell. Wow. Isn't that, so, that is an odd. That is really odd. The kind of odd sensations that people hate is just, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's strange. Well, it's just so specific as well. Very niche. I wonder if that was a traumatic thing from childhood or. I or, think it's just people hate like odd textures or. Yeah. It is, I guess there's nothing really similar to an egg, to an egg breaking in a shell yeah. yeah madonna has brontophobia which is a fear of an extremely loud but natural noise so she is terrified of thunder and will never step outside when it's raining or thundering absolutely detests it and the, the last one so this is one that stemmed from a traumatic childhood event but adele has luridophobia which is a fear of seagulls um so yeah it all started when she was nine so she was walking down a promenade in tenby eating a 99 flake when this huge effing seagull came down and swiped it off her. She says she's still got a scar from a, from its claw on her shoulder. So it must have left quite a big gash on her. And she said that she worried that it was going to take her away with it. And now she's got a genuine phobia of seagulls. Wow. Which is strange. That is bizarre. Isn't it? But it's funny that it comes from. So I mean, that's a risk one though. I don't like seagulls, but I wouldn't say it's a phobia. You know what? This is perhaps not a phobia, but I used to have a recurring nightmare that birds would swoop down and attack me. And so I would have nightmares where I'd be chased by a flock of birds and they'd all be hovering and they'd start diving like that and like peck me. What, just, that's just the kind a, of sea, thing. a sea of them? Just a, a massive, yeah, yeah, kind of a cloud, a sea of them just yeah. swooping down and pecking me, which is strange. But I think the uh, the unusual, that, that egg one kind of ties nicely into where we're going next, which is sort of like fetishes and weird things that people are into. Because there's a lot of things that people can be interested in that like, that are just really, really 
unusual. Mm. So um, <laughs> there's a couple of celebrity ones that I've got. Oh, okay, yeah, go on. What's one topic of celebrities? Give us some so weird celebrity, celebrity fetishes. Yeah. Um, so obviously Rihanna released the song S and M. Is that whips and chains excite me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is related apparently to her own fetish. So it's something that she actually has experienced, and she, um, yeah, she she likes to be tied up, and that that song was actually about her own kind of experiences. So wow. there's that one. There's also um, James Franco. <laughs> apparently, rabbits turn what? him on. Yeah, that's so, weird. So that he, shouldn't be allowed. He can't explain it, but rabbits apparently do. That's just yeah. That's I hope it's to. just uh yeah hopefully that's not true <laughs> they're not involved <laughs> hopefully he doesn't have a like a load of you know what I understand Lola have you ever seen oh my goodness what was that basketball movie uh Space Jam have you ever seen Space Jam nah. you should watch it okay. I think it's Michael Jordan yeah and it's like cartoons coming into the real world and they play oh, basketball wait wait with like Bugs Bunny in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah I've seen that and yeah. you know the female Bugs Bunny Lola Bunny yeah. I remember being eight years old and she came on the screen for the first time and I was like, oh my sweet Lord, she is a so freaking So you can worldie. relate then, you can relate. I don't think it was the fact, it was definitely the anthropomorphic side of her that I was attracted to. And then Angelina Jolie, apparently a fetish um, for blood. Ooh, that's weird. So um, yeah, so she's had moments where her and her boyfriend um, have had intimate experiences and she's like grabbed a knife and cut herself wow yeah i mean <laughs> gosh that's quite dark i don't want to be spreading rumors but this is generally what i read um and she apparently he he cut her back he she cut him and he cut her wow and they had an exchange of something covered in blood and her heart was racing so she gets some sort of adrenaline hit from that wow yeah that is weird what about you have you got any celebrity examples or more just not celebrity examples so i was i was kind of curious what the sort of what the top ones were, like how common they were. And so the most Googled, the most Googled ones, monthly averages, feet is number one. And feet, I just do not get at all. And it's one where, I don't know if you've come across this, but there's this page called Wiki Feet and loads of my friends are on it and they absolutely hate it. So people who have this interest in feet have this website called Wiki Feet, well, where no they pay. basically, if there's like a YouTube video where like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo's, taking his socks off to change shoes oh, wow. they'll screenshot it and upload it so it's not like they're it's not like an OnlyFans where they're uploading their own feed it's, it's people, people that are capturing it like you know there's a picture on my instagram of me when i'm on the beach just in my swim shorts and you're on and there. i wouldn't well no i'm probably not I'm probably not relevant enough uh. to be but like that's the kind of thing where you know i don't have to upload the content myself to be on there yeah. which is kind of feet so that's 368,000 searches a month the second one is primal the primal fetish, which is kind of going back to primitive ways, everything being kind of rough and animalistic, which I don't necessarily know as a fetish, as opposed to more of like a a style of intimacy that you prefer, but I definitely under, can understand that one. Third is armpits, which I don't understand at all, but I think people have a, a thing for armpits. I guess they kind of look like female no, I body think, parts I think if you it, it kind could of go like the, that. The bodily odor, like people are really attracted to oh, other people's yeah. scent and pheromones. Girls do TikToks about that all yeah. the time, don't they? Like sniffing my boyfriend's armpits. Yeah. Like, do I like this? I think Ooh, I do you like this. Yeah, that, that probably is a thing. That's a bit of an evolutionary thing. This is vile. I'd, I've heard this word on the internet, but I had to Google what it meant. Scat, which is feces related. Moving oh, on wow. quickly. Crush. 
<laughs> crush sorry so, that was yeah weird don't don't want yeah um crush is one okay is next up which is people love the idea of just being crushed like squashed oh, okay yeah that, that actually links to to one i had as well which is um it's, it's related to dominance so it's bdsm and 93% of men, 96% of women have, have fantasized about some aspect of BDSM before in their lifetime. So it's erotic practices involving bondage, discipline, dominance, and submission. I think that's probably quite normal. I'm not surprised they're in their 90s because I think yeah. everyone's kind of yeah, got exactly, a, yeah. an either dominant or submissive side to them. But yeah, interesting. But crushing is going a stage further, isn't it? Like, yeah. I think there was a, a YouTuber called Pyrocynical. Have you seen it? No. This is like one of my favorite content creators. But he got leaked. His DMs got leaked with someone. And his was, was uh, he, he loved the idea of someone really fat, like squashing oh, someone wow. else. It's such an unusual one. Yeah. Um, smoking fetish, which I don't think is really a fetish, but that's kind of like people being turned on by the... Uh, yeah. watching someone smoking i reckon that, that stemmed from like movies back in the day yeah it used to be really cool yeah. didn't it and now it's like not no. not anywhere near as popular as it used to be hands I, I get that quite a lot from my youtube videos if i ever show oh, my really? hands i'll get comments being like please show your hands again because i kind of tend to do videos with my hands underneath the yeah. camera when when i like so they're loving up my hands right they just go like oh maybe <laughs> um i don't like not as if i have like particularly nice hands people just love yeah. the kind of like the thing of hands and tongues is the last one so they're the sort of top that's kind of normal i guess yeah licking stuff but anyway um yeah going on to so i've got two weird ones that i found so i'll go into one which is a um an attraction focused on inanimate objects so have you ever heard any of this so there's actually quite a lot of people that have married sort of like locations and inanimate objects so in 1979, a Swedish woman married the Berlin Wall. What? It wasn't a legal marriage, obviously, but she still changed her name to Berlin Berliner Mauer, which is Berlin Wall in German. She said, the Great Wall of China is attractive, but he's too thick. My husband is sexier. No, is, that can't be real. Which is a shame as well, because the Berlin, Wall, be got, the Berlin Wall got knocked down a couple of yeah, years so later. she was didn't devastated. It? Um, in 2007, Erika Eiffel, Married, can you guess? Oh, all right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I thought that was an actual name. <laughs> no, no. In 2013, an Australian woman, Jodie Rose, married Le Pont de Diable, a bridge in France. In 2020, a Russian woman, Rain Gordon, married a briefcase, which is an odd one. So she bought the briefcase from a hardware store as a prop for a photo shoot and soon found herself falling in love with the item, which is now called Gideon. She said, I believe in animism, which means that there is life in everything. Just kind of a beautiful way of looking at life. Um, but she says that Gideon is more than just a partner to me. He is a husband, a friend, and a mentor. Um, not sure how much mentoring he's doing. And then the final example is uh, an artist, quite a famous UK artist. I'm sure you've heard of her, Tracy Emin. So in March 2016, she announced that she had married a rock. She made the relationship public at the opening of an exhibition of her work in Hong Kong, telling the press that she had exchanged vows with the sizable stone in the garden of her home in the south of France. I mean, I don't know how much of that was she was actually in love and it was like her artistic expression. Yeah, a lot of it seems like an attention thing. That that almost certainly might be. Also, when she says that they exchanged vows, I'm not really sure how many yeah. vows the, uh, the rock the gave was. back. Yeah, but there's loads of them. I mean, there's honestly, I could go on for hours with the hundreds of cases that I found of people marrying their 
their local train stations, their local churches. There's so many people that have this kind of infatuation for inanimate objects. I, I found another attraction, which is one to machinery. So like bicycles, motor vehicles, helicopters, ships, airplanes, and it's called mechnophilia. Mm. so um there was one case study similar to to what you were saying obviously there's thousands and probably tens of thousands of people that have uh relationship relationships with inanimate objects so this guy nathaniel was a middle-aged man who had a relationship with his car he called chase uh who he actually had some intimate experiences with as well wow and that was a homosexual relationship was it chase is that Potentially. Oh, no, you can have, no, Ch- Chase is a female name as well. Yeah, potentially. I just curious. I, I don't I mean, know if no judgment either way. But if cars have genders or not. But um, so good question. Yeah. So, so he he was actually attracted to his car, and not not only just had a official marriage or bond that was on paper, he actually had intimate relations with his car. Wow. Yeah. How odd. Bizarre. And there was also um, Michelle Koki, who's a thirty-three-year-old female who had a five-year relationship with a Boeing 737-800. My word, that and is a big... <laughs> she said, the 737-800 is very attractive and sexy to me. He's the most beautifully built and very attractive and elegant aircraft I've ever seen. Wow, gorgeous aircraft, but that is... God, yeah, you'd never feel like yeah. man enough if you dated. <laughs> also, what, what happens after five years? The plane's like, honestly, I'm, you know, I, I want to travel more. Yeah, I'm not in the same down. location anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm moving exactly. airports. I just I need to spread my wings and fly a bit yeah. before <laughs> I get tied down. <laughs> kind of actually, and kind of tying in with inanimate objects again, and kind of almost the same kind of thing, um, is an interest in statues, dolls, mannequins, or other figurative objects, which kind of makes more sense because they're inanimate objects, but you've got the, the human attraction, you know, you've got attractive statues and stuff. So um, it comes from the ancient Greek agalma statue and philia, love. So that's agalmatophilia. Um, seemed to be really prevalent in, in the ancient world. I'm guessing they had less, how would you put it, adult media to consume. So you don't have the internet to Google what, you know, and you don't necessarily see naked people walking around. So if you've got these statues of, you know, women with their tops off, that might be, a, might be almost give you the same feeling as when you saw your first naked person online but um yeah but even even then it's you know that there are sort of loads of stories from uh the ancient ancient world where sort of people would genuinely fall in love with statues they would be caught being intimate with them but there was one quite funny one so someone wrote into the daily mail called Raina delaney so she was a 40 year old woman from london she claimed she had fallen in love with a three-foot statue of the greek god adonis that she'd bought for 395 pounds to be fair, Greek god, you know, they are pretty attractive. Yeah. Three foot, you know, short king. Yeah. Come on. We love it. Um, but she says that she enjoys reading and talking to her companion and keeps him close by when she watches TV and eats dinner. She also kisses and caresses him, imagining the pair of them walking through meadows of wildflowers or at the seaside. She shares the condition with Amanda Whitaker, a 27-year-old shop assistant from Leeds, who has fallen head over heels with a, a, not a three foot statue, but a much larger one, the Statue of Liberty. No way. So people just, for some reason, just absolutely love statues. And I guess, I wonder if these people will move on to, you know, the modern advancements of intimate dolls that are yeah, true, you know, becoming actually, more, yeah. more and more common. But you get loads of people that, you know, you, you sort of see programs and weird YouTube videos of people going like, 
you know, I'm a man, no woman has ever been interested in me, but I've got this absolutely gorgeous That's doll. Loyal. Like it's not gonna cheat on me. We have we have People dinner. Love it. Yeah. yeah. And they sort of say like, oh, they, they don't smell like real girls do, like they, they'll never get stinky or dirty or yeah. in the toilet. They're almost like perfectly clean. There's almost like a weird kind of I don't know supremacy about the way they talk about it as well that kind of just gives me shivers. It's a bit yeah, it's, it's a bit unusual. But you know, I, I think yeah, I mean, if, if they're not hurting anyone, go for it. But I mean, did, did you have any, any well, more? Yeah, similar, I guess. Like there are, it's a massive kind of increase in people using um, like those kind of toys or or they're almost very real like um, models of human beings. And, and they'll use that as a form of pleasure. So there's one that's called plushophilia, which is um, an attraction to stuff toy animals mm. so i guess similar in the sense that it's that loyalty thing of just knowing they're always there and people actually develop relationships with them which is bizarre that's weird because I, I i mean i have <laughs> I, I grew up with two i grew up with a teddy yeah and a, a snow leopard that were given to me by my sister and granddad and i definitely growing up kind of saw them as people as like entities that i like loved and even now i mean like i'm, I'm a grown adult like you know i'm in my mid-20s but like if my, my, I think my teddy's probably still in my, on my bed at home in my mum's house that I obviously just haven't lived at for years. But if someone like threw it to the floor, even now I'd be like, oh, like don't, that could hurt them. Like I kind of, you kind of do like give them this personality and identity, but I just, I would never see any kind of it going that stage further and having that kind of like adult you, you got to be interest very in. lonely. Yeah. Well, I guess it's just a natural thing that probably just comes to these people. There's just, there, there's one thing like, I think with almost all of the filias, I'm like, you know, if you've got a weird interest in statues or inanimate objects or, you know, whatever they are, as long as it's not animals or kids related, it's fine. Like, you know, it's when it's like rabbits and kid related stuff. Car I'm like, cars is dodgy. But I just, I don't think it's really hurting anyone. If someone oh. wants to fall in love with their car and, still, you know, have fun nice. with the exhaust at night, I what? don't really care. But stuff like that where it's like there's kind of an association with plushy toys and kids you know if people like you know they like the whole schoolgirl thing or like these like anime girls that are like look like they're 12 but they're actually like 4000 years old in the law there's something unsettling about that that i just really don't like or the dolls where you know people go like oh i bought this doll and it's like 3 foot tall and it like yeah. looks like a kid and that's they're like, when you got to keep a close eye on that person yeah exactly <laughs> there needs to be some kind of register that's yeah, like literally. be careful for these people but no, I think I think just wrapping up, I think the the brain is the the human brain is just so strange, isn't it? I mean, there's so much that can go wrong or deviate from what's normal. Evidently, there's a lot of things that we're we're scared of that whether it's rational or not, or be interested in. And I think with fears and stuff, and you know, fears are pretty natural. I think with phobias, you know, if you've got phobias, there is actually quite a lot of uh, really good ways for you to be able to like handle it and get over it these days. So, you know, if you've got a phobia and you're struggling with it, especially in social settings, you know, you can get, get a decent therapy for it that can really help you. But uh, yeah, and if you've got a failure, I'd say uh, as long as you're not hurting anyone or there's no weird connotations with it and you're Just not hurting anyone. Just don't tell anyone. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's fine if you, you know, you're loving your car, but uh, yeah, I find stuff like this so interesting about the, you know, you, you could be walking down the road, it could be your boss or your teacher or something and they could just have a weird attraction to microphones or the way gr grass feels on their naked feet or something just really but also really weird. looking into the stats it's almost like 
if you feel like you do have a strange fetish or phobia, someone else probably does have that as well. True. I mean, there's some real unique ones that we've discussed, but it's mad the actual statistics behind it and the proportion of people that have experienced these, these things. So I think even talking about it, I find it so interesting because it's not something that you ever really think about, like, or, or even believe a lot of these cases as well. Yeah. And you know, some of it goes so strong. So just as a, as a kind of like closing off on just on stats, um, about 15 to 20% of us experience specific phobias at once, one part of our life. So it is a lot. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if it was slightly more in a certain sense. Um, it's estimated that nearly 10% of people have at least one extreme fear, extreme specific fear. And it all comes from the part of the brain called the amygdala which is responsible, responsible for triggering specific phobias. So it's the integrative center for emotions, emotional behavior and motivation. But yeah, nearly, it, it is really sad for people who have the, the more difficult ones that affect their lives because you know nearly 17% of people with social phobias develop depression as a result of it. And 20% turn to illegal drugs or alcohol. So um, yeah, you can definitely seek treatment for your uh, anxiety and fears and stuff. Because uh, only 40% of people begin treatment before the age of 10, whereas 95% start before the age of 20. But still, you know, there are 5% of people out there that are still dealing with it without ever having help. So, you know, if you've got one that you're already struggling with, go seek help for it. But uh, yeah, I mean, the comment section is there. So if you're on YouTube or you want to go on our social media and you've got any interesting fears or phobias or uh, phileas and you, you want to open up and, and, you know, comment and, you know, share with people or discuss or there's any weird ones you've... Uh, you've heard about definitely tell us because it's a it's a really interesting topic isn't it yeah and if you do have latrophobia fear of doctors then yeah. i honestly don't know what to advise <laughs> yeah. just still seek help <laughs> it's impossible to say isn't it because you know yeah. you know even oh if God. they know that they should a combination of latrophobia and phobophobia oh my you goodness are, you are done yeah for. you're toast <laughs> so yeah anyway at fred arthur pod yeah. or fredarthurpod.com for links to everything go check it out follow us on our social media get involved in the discussion huge thank you to everyone who's listened this far as well we really appreciate everyone who's like listening to the end of the podcast it means a lot glad you're enjoying it enough to to um yeah to, to share this time with us until the end and make, uh yeah make sure to share with your friends and we really appreciate you watching and make sure to to follow our socials yeah thanks a lot and uh see you next time thank you